You're now listening to Dirty Feet, a brand new podcast on No More Radio. Bonjour, oui, vous êtes sur les ondes des pieds sales, aka Dirty Feet podcast on No More Radio. I'm Alison Burns. I'm JD Papillon. Oh, I'm Jen Don. The donor. donor. I'm the donor. This is Joanie on No More Radio. Stay tuned for dance, circus, burlesque, tango, movement, salsa, whatever it is, we're going to move you. What do we know? Podcasts? We are a podcast, yeah. We're podcasters. 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 I like that. Podcaster. Cool. For dance. <laughs> How about that? Oh, yeah. Do you want to dance? Welcome to the second Dirty Feet podcast. Again, it's going to be a bit of a bilingual back and forth, English and French show. And uh, we're going to be talking about short and sweet the ninth edition. I'm Alison Burns, one of your hosts, along with J.D. Papillon and Joanie. We're <laughs> going to do the, the sweet and long version of talking about short and sweet. For our listeners who might not be aware of, uh, is this production by Once and Needs Dance, which is composed of Sasha Kleinplatz and Andrew Tay. And it's, it's an event which started out basically as a way to sort of bring people from the dance community together. Uh, it was an event that they were like, you know, we should do something that just is not weighted down by the studio space, the the normal representation space uh, of most dance pieces. So they were holding it in Atlas La Rosa, and uh, f for the f past few years, they've also been holding one during the FTA, the Festival Transamérique, in the Quartier des Spectacles. And Short and Sweet basically is a way for them to bring people from the dance community, turn it into a big party, and have uh, people present very short work, so three minutes long at most. And after three minutes, they turn down the lights, they cut off the music, and you need to wrap it up, you know, once the three minutes is up. It's a really interesting format. It's, I mean, like, there is a really lively atmosphere when you go to watch it. And it's also fun because you get to see some uh, faces from choreographers that you're not used to seeing. You know, there's a few people I've seen there and I would never expect it to see what they produced from their work. So sometimes it's really interesting because people are more willing to take risks in a format like that than they would if it was a show presented in, like by a uh, presenter in a very formal space. So it's a lot of fun and for people people who haven't been, The ninth edition is this Wednesday, November 28th. Doors open at 8.30. The show starts at 9. It gets packed really quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, so for listeners who would be interested in going, get there early because it really, they pack up Las Aurora really quickly. They really succeeded in creating that community. Like when you go, you see everybody in the in the contemporary dance kind of sphere, and it is a really different atmosphere. There, you know, there are drinks for sale, and you're you're mingling. You're sitting at tables instead of in a traditional theater. It's very nice. Yeah, and, and when we say people from all over the dance community, it's presenters, it's journalists, it's choreographers, it's dancers. And, you know, there, there's just this whole camaraderie sense to it that is really interesting to see because sometimes you don't get to see that as much in some shows because the delimitation between the audience and the artists is much more present, I feel. It's a really fun show for people who haven't been. Go. You should definitely go see it this week. And we're really excited today because we have three guests who are presenting work at Short and Sweet for the first time. 
So our three guests today are Gerard Reyes, who is uh, also a dancer for Marichouinard. Hello. How are you doing today? Good. I'm really good. Uh, we also have Laurence Fournier-Campo, who just performed in Raphael Perrault's piece Roleplay at Tangente. Hello. Salut, ça bien? Oui, merci. And we have Kimberly de Young, who is a dancer for Fred Gravel. She is a rehearsal director for Merchna, seems to be really busy and will be also presenting for the first time. Hi. Hi. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. Good. So uh, we'll just start talking a bit more about yourselves. So, Gerard, tell us a bit more about your dance career, where you come from, what you've been up to. Sure. I started dancing at the late age of 20. The, the funny story is that I was really cocky um, at the age of 20, and I thought that I, um, well, I knew that I was destined to be a dancer. So um, I auditioned for a couple of schools in Toronto. I auditioned for Ryerson, and I auditioned for York University. And this is like without ever having taken a ballet class or jazz class or a modern class. And so, um, so my audition for Ryerson was like we started with a ballet class and the teacher said, okay, um, everybody to the bar. And I uh, just looked around and I like took my cues off from the other people, the other um, auditioners. And I see that they, they moved towards the bar and so I moved towards the bar and then everybody has their left hand on the bar, which is the way that usually a ballet class would start, and I have my right hand on the bar. And uh, so it's like typical what you would see in like a Hollywood movie of like a real debutant, you know. And, um, and then I realized, oh, I'm the only one who, who's not doing this this certain way. And anyways, I do not know how, like the, the rest of the audition is kind of a blur. I don't know how I made it through the ballet component and then the jazz component and then the modern component. But nonetheless, I was there until the end. And, um, and then we had individual interviews with the, um, the artistic director, and she asked me, so why is it that, why are you here? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to be a dancer. And she said, okay, well, if you don't get in this year, and I thought, in my head, I thought, uh, if I don't get in this year, what are you kidding me? Like, it's obvious that I'm, like, I need to be here. You need to, <laughs> you need to, you need me in this program. And she said, but she continued, she said, if you don't get in this year, then I really, I highly recommend that you take some dance classes and um, come back next year and re-audition, and we'll look at you then. And so I didn't get in, um, but I did take her advice, and the next year I re-auditioned, and I got into the school. Hmm. And that was the beginning. Can I ask what you were doing up until 20? Were you on a different path? Oh, definitely. I was, I was like on the other side of the tracks. I, I wanted to be um, a professional lawyer, a lawyer. Um, and no, there's not really a semi-professional No, there's lawyer. not a semi-professional, <laughs> semi-professional <laughs> dancer, I guess. But yeah, I wanted to be a professional, a lawyer. And then um, at some point in high school, um, I became very depressed and I realized that that wasn't what was going to make me happy and that I needed to, that there was something else that w was more fulfilling and something um, that wasn't so heady, wasn't so intellectual, but um, that was calling me. And so I, I answered. <laughs> and after Ryerson, did you come to Montreal right away? What, did, you, did you dance a bit in Toronto? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, before I left Ryerson, this was the irony of the whole thing, is because I was one of even though I was the least experienced person in my Ryerson class, I was one of the first people to get a professional gig, um, which I got actually before I left Ryerson. And they made an exception for me because usually the faculty doesn't like their students to be 
um, training outside of Ryerson or um, be getting any like professional gigs outside of Ryerson. But, um, but I got a gig with, um, it was the first year that the Canadian Children's Dance Theatre, something like that, in, in Toronto. Um, the one that's uh, close to TDT? Yes, okay, yes. Yeah. The Canadian Children's Dance Theatre, I think is what it's called. And they, it was their first year of starting up um, like a, almost like a cousin company, which was pre-professional. And, um, and so I got a job with them. Um, in January, and I graduated in April, and then after that, I moved. I got um, a job with Danny Grossman for a year, and I danced with them for a season, and then moved t- to New York because I realized the scene in Toronto was not going to fulfill me. And then I worked for two years in New York with um, Bill T. Jones and Shen Wei, and then some other um, contemporary dance choreographers. Noemi La France, who's also from Quebec but works down there. And then got my job, uh, got the job with Marie Chouinard here in Montreal. From the Montreal scene, have you experienced anything other than Marie Chouinard? Have you been dancing for other people too? No, actually. Um, so it's, it's kind of ironic because the reason I left Toronto is because I felt it was very insular. And then yet I moved to Montreal with a job. So that, w- that was different. So I moved to Montreal for the job with Marie Chouinard. And then I left Montreal and I went to L.A. for a year. And then I moved back also Um, because of Marie Chouinard. But this is, this is actually going to be, Wednesday will be my first performance in Montreal with no affiliation to Marie Chouinard. And you're also choreographing, so that's probably a new step also for you, I would guess. I'd say professionally speaking, yes, because um, I have choreographed things in the past, but it's been quite a few years since I, since I last choreographed something. So coming back to choreography, it has been with a different approach, and I think I've Seeing it, seeing it more as a career and as like a professional step, whereas before I was kind of like I was kind of dabbling in it, and it came to me more than I was like seeking it out. I, I choreographed a little bit at Ryerson, and then choreographed a little bit after Ryerson, but but this will also be the first time um, my work is presented. I think in like a more form, it, even though it's like an informal context, it's like a more formal context than my past, than the it's past It's in context. front of the community and everything. Yeah, 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 I'm super excited about it too. How about you, Kimberly? Like, can you tell us a bit more about your experiences, training, everything? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I started uh, dancing in BC uh, at a school in Vancouver called Arts Umbrella. And uh, it was an art school, had all con- kinds of arts, but they had like a youth dance company there so um, I grew up uh, learning there um, I moved to Montreal uh, at the age of 13 and I was um, dancing for the um, Ecole Supérieure de Danse du Québec it was called at the time uh, I was living with a boarding family really friendly family I'm still friends with today so I was there for a couple of years but I went back to Vancouver to graduate and sort of have a more I guess relaxed dance upbringing which wasn't just strictly ballet and then I when I graduated there I um I started working for the Cirque du Soleil uh for a few months and um I was part of the Zoomanity Zoom uh, creation But I was kind of young to do that show. <laughs> It's kind of a sex show, and I was 19 at the time, so <laughs> I wasn't really even legal age. But uh, they took me for another show in Vegas. I was doing a replacement role, so um, it's kind of perfect because I was I was just there for a couple of months, and so I I got to test the waters of, of doing the same show twice a day and living in Vegas. And 
And I'm kind of glad that it was just, it was sort of like a, a temporary job because then I moved back to Montreal with a, a bit more money in my pockets and uh, went to Europe and did a, like my own audition kind of tour with uh, just like backpacking uh, around Europe. Um, and I got a job in, uh, in Holland in uh, Galili Dance, it's called. It's a small town uh, in Groningen up north. Uh, unfortunately, the company doesn't exist anymore, but yeah, at the time it was it was an awesome um, you know opportunity for me to to be dancing in Europe and um, my first kind of real professional dance company, I guess. And then I did some auditions while I was there when my time was sort of I felt like coming to an end there. And uh, I went to Paris and and did an audition for Marie Chouinard in Paris, and uh, and she um, she accepted me. And it was funny because I had sort of I had done an audition for Marie when I was seventeen and. And she said, well, come back when you have more experience. And, and so I did. And, uh, and so she took me, uh, I think I was maybe 20, 23 when I got the job with Schwinnard. And so I moved back to Montreal. Uh, I don't, somehow I always keep on coming back to Montreal. And so danced with her in, since 2006 and um, had a baby in 2009. And uh, I toured with my baby for a couple of years, Gaia, her name is. Yeah, unfortunately, like, it's kind of tricky, especially with Schwinnard, just because they tour a lot. And so bringing her on tour after the age of two where I have to pay for her flights, is, it kind of got, uh, kind of didn't really make sense. I was probably paying more than I was making. So I, I took a break from that, and I've been rehearsal directing uh, for the company since and uh, working on my own uh, choreography. And then also recently uh, worked for Fred Gravel, did the show at... Um, part of Le Danse Dance at uh, Cinquième Salle, like a couple weeks ago. How long after you had Gaia did you start dancing again? I took my time. I uh, actually didn't think I would dance again because I was really luxuriating in the maternity leave that, um, you know, we feel like it's never long enough, but I guess compared to other countries, uh, we're pretty we're pretty lucky. I had a, a full year being paid um, Obviously not the same rights, but I had a I had pretty good maternity leave, and I when they asked me if I wanted to resign my contract, like I really had to think about it. You know, I wasn't ready to jump on the bandwagon so quickly. Um, I didn't really take many classes. I didn't. I really took my time um, as a as a mom that year. And and it's funny because when I went back to the company, I decided I I did want to keep on going with the dance career is that I didn't feel like I lost anything even if I hadn't danced for a year. It was kind of like just in my experience of of being a mom, I, I came back and, and I felt like I had maybe more to give as a dancer. Oh, that's so inspiring. It can be done, everyone. <laughs> yeah, we don't hear it that often. That's why I guess the question uh, had to be asked. We don't hear many dancers taking off. Or yeah, well, it's traveling. I have a couple you know, close friends that are moms. Um, and I'll I'll name one in particular because I was just working with her uh, is uh, Jamie Wright and she has two, and she's she's pretty awesome because she she's teaching at La Nuit, performing and doing her perf max in the morning which is like total <laughs> hardcore training and she's got two at home so there you go. <laughs> and uh, you're also uh, presenting something soon a choreography of yours at Danse Pisonnière, right? Yeah, yeah, Danse Pisonnière for um, emerging choreographers and. Um, I'll be presenting a 10-minute piece there with uh, Nathan Yaffe, who I'm, who I'm also dancing with in that piece, so choreographing and dancing. We'll be at Monument National from the 13th to the 16th of uh, December. 
And uh, Laurence, uh, how about you, John? Talk to us a bit about your experiences, your training, where you come from. Alors, ben moi, j'ai grandi à Montréal et j'ai étudié à Montréal aussi, à l'UCAM. J'ai gradué en 2009, donc euh, je suis toute jeune dans ce milieu. Et euh, depuis ce temps-là, ben, j'ai dansé un peu, euh, euh, un peu partout, si on veut, avec des chorégraphes de la relève, des amis à moi, tout ça. Et là, euh, donc tu l'as nommé tantôt, euh, j'arrive d'une semaine de, de performance avec Raphaël Perrault dans une pièce qui s'appelle « Role Play », donc entre autres. Sinon, ben, comme chorégraphe, euh, j'ai un projet qui s'appelle « Ballet de ruelle », un projet de danse in situ, donc c'est un déambulatoire. On amène le public à se déplacer avec nous, donc c'est plein de petites euh, capsules. À la base, c'était dans une ruelle, mais là maintenant, on le fait dans plein de, de lieux publics, des parcs, euh, des, des squares, des rues, euh, etc. Donc on amène le public à se déplacer avec nous et voir toutes ces petites euh, capsules-là. Donc ça fait deux, trois ans qu'on travaille là-dessus. Ça fait trois pièces euh, qu'on fait avec ça, donc j'ai commencé à chorégraphier euh, à travers ça. Mais c'est toujours des collaborations, euh, évidemment. Mais je fais la direction artistique avec... Euh, Gabriel, surprenant la casse aussi. Donc, ça, c'est un projet qui euh, m'occupe euh, beaucoup. Donc, euh, je travaille beaucoup euh, à l'extérieur. Donc, pour moi, la scène, euh, j'en fais. Donc, j'en ai fait cette semaine, euh, la, mais la semaine qui vient de passer, en fait. Mais je travaille beaucoup plus euh, à l'extérieur, euh, dans des lieux publics, entre autres à travers un autre projet qui s'appelle euh, Écoute pour voir, qui est un projet d'Emmanuel de Joutte. Euh, donc, qui est un projet, euh, un lecteur MP3 et deux écouteurs. Donc, un solo, un danseur pour... Euh, un spectateur. Donc ça aussi, c'est pas mal dans l'espace urbain. Ça peut être à l'intérieur ou à l'extérieur, mais voilà. Donc danser sur scène, pour moi, ça arrive, mais moins souvent. Donc disons que je danse beaucoup à l'extérieur. Sinon, ben voilà, dans le cadre de Short and Sweet, je vais chorégraphier en collaboration avec Emmanuel qui m'a invité à partager ce, ce petit moment de, de scène. Ballet de Ruelle, c'est intéressant comme projet. Oui. Vous avez énormément de danseuses qui oui. en font partie. Hein? Oui, là, on réduit de plus en plus <rire> parce que ça devient difficile et à gérer et à financer. Euh, mais on a commencé, ouais, on a fait des projets jusqu'à 18-20 danseuses. Donc, c'est super intéressant parce que ça donne vraiment un effet de masse. Les gens sont toujours euh, contents de voir autant de gens bouger dans l'espace. Mais donc, pour nous, euh, à l'interne, ça devenait énormément de, de logistique. C'est pas juste des filles qui ont gradué de l'UCAM non plus. Hein. Il y a beaucoup de collaboratrices là-dedans qui sont de divers, oui, diverses écoles. qui viennent de différents milieux. On a essayé de regrouper ça un peu, de, de mélanger un peu les, les, les différentes cohortes puis les différentes écoles parce que c'est quelque chose qu'on remarquait énormément. C'est aussi normal parce que, bon, on étudie avec ces gens-là, on les connaît bien et tout. Mais on essayait de mélanger les cartes un peu puis ça a créé des belles, des belles relations puis des belles rencontres. Mais là, donc, on a diminué un peu notre nombre de de collaboratrices. Aussi pour arriver avec une ligne directrice qui est un peu plus claire dans nos projets. C'était très, très, très éclectique au départ, plein de, de capsules, mais très, très, très disparates. Et là, on a essayé d'aller vers quelque chose qui avait vraiment plus une ligne, une ligne directrice, donc on a réduit notre nombre de, de collaboratrices un petit peu. Pourquoi la danse in situ? Très honnêtement, au départ, parce qu'un manque de financement parce que c'est une façon simple de s'autoproduire et parce que ben, ce projet-là est arrivé un peu par hasard puis finalement ça a explosé en fait, ça, ça s'est mis à, à rouler super bien, il y a eu un bel intérêt, on a reçu des sous, on a, donc forcément c'est arrivé comme ça en fait, mais c'est aussi parce que bon c'était plus facile que de faire des spectacles en salle puis qu'on avait des gens qui nous, qui nous diffusaient puis qui étaient intéressés par le projet. Donc, euh, puis on a développé un peu une 
une expertise là-dedans, si on veut, au fil du temps, parce que c'est quand même assez particulier, autant au niveau de la surface, puis bon, mais d'avoir des gens qui nous regardent en tout temps, même la répétition devient une performance, euh, de devoir gérer avec les gens. C'est un peu la médiation culturelle aussi, parce que les gens qui nous regardent ne connaissent pas nécessairement la danse, donc d'interagir avec eux, etc., etc. Donc, c'est vraiment un autre aspect de la danse. Je trouve super intéressant, mais le, le à la base, en fait, c'était pas une nécessité de dire « moi, je veux danser à l'extérieur ». C'est un peu apparu comme ça, puis on, on en a fait une, une spécialité, si on veut. Could you tell us a bit about what it means for you to perform at Short and Sweet? It's, it's basically your first steps in the dance community away from Arishna. So mm -hmm. there, there must be like this like really uh, exciting feeling, I guess, for, for you here. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think this is happening now, but I feel like this has been in gestation for the last two years, probably. I was telling Laurence before, the, before this interview started, there's been like a hiatus of, in my choreography and in that process. Um, but I had, I had like a, I feel like an energy like a, that I, I wasn't sure exactly how to channel it or where to channel it. And so there was like this like bubbling something um, under the surface for quite a while. And I think it played itself out at, in, like, in terms of like frustration. But then when I sp actually, like a lot of, I've had a lot of conversations with my boyfriend about this and he really has helped me. Um, he's been a very motivating force in, um, in getting me to the point where I did go to the studio. And actually when we met, I was in the studio for the first time, um, this was a year ago, where I, t I had three weeks off from my job and then I decided that I was going to spend, I, actually with Andrew, I used Andrew's space for three weeks, rented it out, and, um, and I just went in and I didn't really know what was going to come of it. I just knew that I had to get into the studio and see what was going to come. And nothing much actually came out of those three weeks in terms of like something to show. And, and I, sp I had spoken with Andrew at that point and he said, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're interested in showing, showing something in January, maybe you could show at Short and Sweet. And I, And I was interested, um, but kind of nervous about the whole thing, too. And I think it's taken me this whole year, actually, of going in and out of the studio and like clarifying my ideas away from the studio, too, because I feel like a lot of my ideas come when I'm not in the studio. Um, because the studio time can feel very pressured. And, you know, like, how do I make the most of this? And at the beginning, Um, I would even like go into the studio and like have my lunch at the beginning of my studio time or like take a nap or whatever and um, and my boyfriend thought that that was really hilarious like a very unproductive way of using my rehearsal time but in reality I think that was just me getting in touch with like my base self this has been a long process and it started before I even went into the studio and it continues when I'm not in the studio and I think that, I think that Over this past year, I've really started to understand for myself why I'm doing this, what it brings me, and how to do it for myself. Because the whole choreographic process actually is a very elusive process. You know, it's so individual. And yes, you can take choreographic workshops, and yes, you can, you can learn about like the dramaturgy of shows and of pieces, but, um, but really, The way that you get in touch with your choreographic voice, I think, is so personal and needs to be explored as a process and then the material that you're, you actually, you're working with and developing. And what do you think of the short and sweet rules? Three minutes, 
take risks is one of the big rules mm -hmm. also. Do you feel that it's been a constraint on you and your creative process? Do you feel that it's actually pushed you in a new interesting direction? For sure, because actually the piece that, I'm cre that I created for um, Short and Sweet is an in situ piece. Um, and I was working on something in a similar vein, but not, but not that piece. So I was creating something for a theater. And, and the props, um, the staging that I was imagining, the lighting that I was imagining would not work at Short and Sweet, not at La Saragossa. Um, it just wouldn't be seen. Aesthetically, the, the aesthetic that I want from that piece um, couldn't be reproduced in that, in that space. So I had to think of a way to, to bring like, some of the essence of what I was working on, which is, which is very much what I'm interested in right now, and how to bring that into the space and how to work with those time constraints and how to, how to make something interesting for myself to create in, in that space. And I really used that space, even though I haven't practiced in that space, but with that space in mind. So I'm actually very eager to get in there on Wednesday and to try it out in that space. I've, I've like made a few trips um, in the last couple of weeks to the space and looked at it and you know, thought, oh, okay, this is, this is how far I need to go here. And you know, just like got my head around, wrapped my head around um, actually bringing what I'm creating in the studio to Salarosa. Since it's in situ, you mentioned like your choreographic process was first an institute piece. Will you be performing on main stage or are you deciding to perform somewhere else in the space? You'll wait, you'll have to wait and see. Uh, no, no. Um, yes, I will be performing. Um, I, I d did not want it to be traditional. And actually, I think that my, the piece that I was creating already um, before Short and Sweet came around, I think of it as non-traditional. Actually, what interests me is to not classify my dance as contemporary dance because I have more than contemporary dance as a background. And my, dan my dancing actually became, came out of like a non, you know, a non-formal desire to become formal and to become professional. But um, so I started with hip hop and I think there's influences of fashion and um, contemporary dance and... Will we see jazz hands? You may. Nice. <laughs> I, 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 I won't would never classify them as jazz hands, but you might. <laughs> also, I mean, you mentioned quickly the, the, the sound, the lighting. Yeah. And this is something that's completely stripped down or almost for short and sweet. Mm -hmm. how, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that it's, it's something that just allows you to focus on the essential? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I really, um, the m music has been a little bit um, difficult because I'm working with, with pre-recorded music. And um, it's a song by Janet Jackson. And she's also a huge influence. She's been a huge influence for me getting the music to fit the times constraints and how to work with that that was that was tricky because i i wasn't sure if i wanted if i wanted to be cut off or or that type of thing so i think now i, I i've got it i think we'll have works. to wait and see on uh, wednesday to know That's a bit right. more about your what you're showing thank you gerard thank you uh kimberly so basically yeah short and sweet what does it mean to you like how did this come about well, Sasha invited me to this uh, this year's Short and Sweet, and um, you know I've I've gone to see Short and Sweet before, and what I like about it is just this informal setting of it. You know, like uh, you'd mentioned, Allison, like you know you can go, you can get a beer. People are standing, sitting, you know, laughing. It'd be a great opportunity to just like try something out. 
you know, take a little bit of that risk that you're talking about. Um, and so when how I chose to do that was I've, I tap danced when I was, when I was young. Um, and I, I left it behind, you know, I, it's in the closet and, and, uh, hadn't brought it out until earlier on this year, Paige Cully and I, we were rehearsing, um, a solo, a Marie Renard solo, Etude Numéro Un, that Lucy Mongrand performs. And so we, we were just learning it as understudies. And um, we'd have this sort of warm-up, her and I, and we started jamming in the warm-up. And, and just this warm-up was so fun because we were really, like, making music and feeding off each other through our bodies. And, and after having this, like, break from, from tap dancing and also coming back to it, how it's really changed, like the way I tap dance is so different from when I was like learning steps when I was a little girl and just like now how I'm a contemporary dancer doing tap dance and I really feel like it's, you know, more of um, sort of a jazz improv and, and not the jazz hand type of jazz, but <laughs> the sort of going in listening to jazz where sometimes, you you know, you you hear some sounds and you're not sure if you're following yet and neither are we but you know we sort of make sense of it as we're going along do you feel that sometimes in contemporary dance we have a tendency to try to move so far away from those more traditional forms of dance such as tap dance so much so that we don't even dare bring them into a more contemporary format well i kind of think that contemporary art you know it's so wide and and that there is now room to bring those forms back and alter them and and use their form um but then you know break them down and deconstruct them you know like when i learned tap it was like steps like shuffle off to buffalo and uh, you know wings and and so rather than doing steps like that i mean they're in my they're mo my vocabulary they're in the, there at the back of my head but then take them out and i combine them with all of the improvisation skills that you know I, I learned as a contemporary dancer as well there's lots of room for that you know and and Gerard was talking about uh, using Janet Jackson you know music and his piece and that's really pop and I think there's room for that as well as tap dance as well as you know classical dance within the contemporary um, scheme you were also talking JD about it being a place for risk and a and a place where people can can experiment. If this goes really well on Wednesday, is this something that you want to pursue? Uh you do you mean like this piece in particular? Like or? this concept, yeah. This approach. Or oh, well, I was actually in rehearsal with Paige this morning being like, you know, it'd be fun if we we did more with this piece mm -hmm. because um we're really like having fun. Uh, with it together and and I definitely think that we could evolve we could evolve it into something greater than it is because it's only three minutes and you know there's only so much you can really do in mm -hmm. three minutes and and that's a huge challenge I find in itself that format the three minutes because it's like to develop something in that amount of time is uh, it's a challenge in itself yeah it has that duality of putting a lot of pressure on and taking some pressure off yeah, because well, it is just, leave just it to improv minutes. you know i mean that was that was my question how do you deal with the time constraint yeah do you drive yourself crazy you know it's just three minutes and you work on it for six months you know or do you leave it i mean sorry leave it last minute thing yeah well originally when we started rehearsing this piece i had in mind that we would set things so that we wouldn't get frustrated and um <laughs> we'd always go for the same thing and then that just really didn't work because because having said it then it was like if we didn't get it we'd feel upset because 
um, I don't know, because it's only three minutes. And then so we started playing more with that improvisation. And then also just in the back of our head, like, oh, this is like a, an informal setting. It's fun. And, you know, so what if we, we miss it this time? You know, it's just like the energy, the type of energy that we put into it and the approach that will, that will come across. Yeah. So, yeah, we're sticking to a sort of loosely uh, structured improv, I guess. Okay. What, what about you, Laurence? With uh, your choreography with Emmanuel, yeah? Yeah. How did you guys work on it? Mais en fait, euh, on a plus euh, notre, notre collaboration s'est faite plus au niveau des idées. Donc euh, Emmanuel avait été invité à participer à Show and Sweet cette année et il a décidé de, de, de le partager en fait, de partager ce moment-là avec quelqu'un. Donc euh, Emmanuel et moi on collabore sur euh, d'autres projets puis on avait euh, envie de, de, de faire un genre de brainstorm là-dessus. Là Donc on s'est installé ensemble puis c'est vraiment plus au niveau des idées. Il m'a lancé des idées puis là moi je relançais là-dessus, etc., etc. Mmh. Puis on est on a finalement euh, élagué tout ça puis on est arrivé avec une idée qu'on a développée. Puis ensuite c'est moi qui partais euh, en studio pour développer cette cette idée-là. Nous, on était plus dans le, le dernière minute de la chose. Okay. C'est quand tu demandais ouais, depuis si... quand vous avez commencé, en fait? C'est ça, donc ça fait vraiment pas longtemps. On ah, s'est ouais. décidé très très récemment, mais euh, c'est super parce que moi, j'aime ce côté un peu. Ça sera pas de l'improvisation, mais c'est pas quelque chose qui... qui, qui, qui quelque chose qui, de vulnérable. C'est quelque chose, limite, oui, puis c'est vraiment ça, si ça permet d'essayer des trucs. Puis moi, ce format-là de, de trois minutes, justement, je trouve que c'est... C'est fantastique parce que tu n'as pas le choix d'être vraiment concis, tu n'as pas le choix d'être clair dans, dans, dans ton idée, puis d'aller euh, au bout de quelque chose. Et tu peux pas être tiré, euh, c'est vraiment, euh, c'est l'essence de quelque chose que tu présentes là, puis je trouve que c'est très, euh, je sais pas, c'est comme fondamental, tu sais, tu présentes vraiment, ouais. Tout ce que, toutes les propositions que j'ai vues, c'est vraiment des idées qui sont claires, mais qui sont super… Euh, Investies. Investies, ouais, ouais, je sais pas, c'est… Donc, moi, toutes les fois où je suis allée voir Short and Sweet, je suis ressortie là, inspirée, parce qu'il y a tellement d'énergie là-dedans, il y a tellement de, de... Je trouve ça puissant de voir toute cette... cette tout cet investissement qui a été mis là, puis c'est juste des, des bonnes idées, des belles idées, quelque chose de super énergisant. Donc, moi, je trouve ça stimulant à voir comme... C'est combien d'artistes environ, donc, qui présentent Il y a 25 chorégraphes. Euh, ça okay. va être 25, 20 pièces, je crois, parce qu'il y a plusieurs collaborations. Mais en mm -hmm. tout, je pense que c'est 20 pièces qui vont être présentées. 20 fois 3 minutes, OK. Ouais. Donc, ça donne quelque chose qui est super éclectique, <rire> mais en même temps qui est très, très stimulant à regarder et à, à, à performer aussi parce qu'on sent comme on, on, on prend part à comme quelque chose de, de, de commun. Je trouve que ça regroupe bien le, le milieu, ça ramène ensemble le milieu de la danse. Ouais, puis c'est rare, tu sais, des, des événements comme mm -hmm. ça. Puis moi, je trouve ça très, très stimulant. C'est un peu comme un party de, de Noël, en fait, du milieu de la danse, <rire> qui est quand même quelque chose de le fun là aussi. C'est intéressant parce que aussi, il y a beaucoup de gens qui iraient pas voir de spectacle de danse normalement, mm -hmm. qui vont à short and suite. Ça, c'était un des paris que Sacha et Andrew s'étaient donné, je crois, au départ, de vraiment essayer de rendre ça accessible. C'est quelque chose que Fred Gravel aussi fait beaucoup, de se dire la danse, ça peut être le fun, même si tu n'as jamais pris de cours de danse, même mm -hmm. si tu comprends pas le, le vocabulaire ou le langage de la danse. Short and sweet, ça donne ça. Il y a plein de propositions qui viennent d'artistes du cirque, la danse. Comme tu as, as dit, c'est s'embarque le monde énormément, peu importe le background duquel ils viennent. Yeah, so that's interesting, I suppose, Kimberly, for, for you, do you feel that tap dancing, there's something very visceral to it that, that is going to resonate with the audience? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, well, what's interesting about tap is that you really can't hide the sounds you make. Every sound you make, it's, uh, it's defined, and, and you can't um, hide behind those sounds. And so there's inevitable, inevitably 
you know, moments where you're searching also at the same time, because like speaking, you know, you, you say it and it's said. And uh, whereas I guess just contempt or dance without tap or let's say modern dance, you know, you, you cannot lie either. The body doesn't lie, but it's more, somehow more abstract than making music kind of. And in a way, I feel that it's kind of similar to what Laurence was saying about how there, I mean, I almost feel like it's an authenticity and the proposals, I mean, in your in your case, you decided to approach TAP. This this is a really clear intention that you set on yourself. As you were saying, Laurence, there, there's no space for lost ideas or anything like that. Like, les choses peuvent pas s'éparpiller. Exactement. Dans votre cas, c'est quoi le, le concept de base, tu dirais, que vous avez choisi d'explorer? Si vous pouvez en parler. <laughs> ouais, mais c'est ça, je, je m'avancerai pas trop. Mais euh, c'était euh, de quelque chose de très mystérieux. Euh, le, le danseur qui qui est mystérieux, le danseur qui a le le, le, le visage caché en fait. fait Qu'est-ce qui sort du corps C'est quoi l'essence du corps une fois qu'on voit pas le, le visage, les yeux euh, du danseur euh, Ça c'était l'idée de base. On était allé dans des idées d'accessoires. Euh, grandiose, là, mais finalement, on a ramené ça à quelque chose d'un peu plus euh, low profile, mais l'idée, c'est vraiment d'avoir le, le, le visage qui n'est qui pas montré, donc euh, de ne pas voir la personnalité par les yeux, par puis comment donc ça peut sortir par, par le corps. Puis c'est ça, c'est juste une esthétique un peu euh, mystérieuse, un peu euh, dark. D'après les projets sur lesquels tu collabores avec euh, Emmanuel, semble y avoir une grosse importance sur les sens, j'ai oui. l'impression. Est-ce que toi, dans ton travail... Tu sens que ça, ça commence à t'influencer un peu de plus en plus, cette approche-là? Bien, c'est sûr qu'Emmanuel est beaucoup là-dedans. Emmanuel, lui, c'est beaucoup son approche de, de la danse puis du mouvement. Fait que c'est sûr qu'à force de collaborer avec lui, bien, ça, ça vient me teinter, tout comme toutes les collaborations dans, dans la vie viennent à nous, à nous apporter quelque chose puis à nous construire en tant que personne. Fait que c'est sûr que moi, j'ai été amenée à, à découvrir ça beaucoup plus puis à intégrer ça euh, comme partie vraiment dans mon, dans mon travail, oui, définitivement. Pour quelque chose comme Ballet de Ruelle, est-ce que tu penses que c'est qu'il que y a cette opportunité-là de se concentrer sur les sens, même si c'est in situ, même si c'est beaucoup de danseuses en même temps? Oui, euh, c'est différent parce que capter l'attention d'un spectateur dans un lieu public, ça peut devenir très, très difficile parce qu'il se passe beaucoup de choses. Il y a des bruits, il y a des voitures, il y a des camions, il y a, 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 a d'autres gens qui marchent, il y a plein de choses qui se passent. Donc, capter l'attention d'un spectateur puis lui faire découvrir des subtilités... Euh, ça peut devenir euh, très difficile. Donc, c'est sûr qu'on peut pas euh, travailler de la même façon parce que dans une salle de spectacle, on peut facilement focusser l'attention très, très clairement sur une partie du corps, sur un élément. Sur... Donc, c'est sûr qu'on faut le faire différemment, mais je trouve que c'est la beauté de la chose. Comment on peut amener un spectateur dans un lieu public à vivre un moment euh, de sensibilité puis de, de, de vivre, une, des, de, de percevoir des sensations? Ça devient encore plus euh, prenant quand on vit ça... Euh, je sais pas, au parc Émilie-Gamelin, par exemple, ou dans n'importe quel lieu où on n'est pas habitué de voir de l'art, où on est juste habitué de marcher, de, de, de se promener, de, de passer là parce qu'on attend le bus. Donc, je pense que oui, ça se fait. Il faut juste travailler différemment, puis il faut travailler différemment à capter l'attention du spectateur. Parce que forcément, il n'est pas là pour euh, la même raison que quand on va voir un spectacle, on achète notre billet, puis on s'assoit dans la salle. Euh, je lance une question ouverte, so an open question to everyone. What do you expect from the audience at Short and Sweet? Because it is a different audience from what you've probably had in prior shows. 
like do you, do you feel that it will be a really welcoming audience do you feel that it will be a hard one kind of audience depends what part of the evening <laughs> you come and see the feast mm -hmm. i mean after a couple of beers maybe that'll influence the way they see things <laughs> so you'd rather not pass first yeah. <laughs> it's fine um, but uh, but because everything is three minutes um i think that there's a certain légèreté to uh, the whole evening you know if it's boring mm -hmm. at least it will be done soon. <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah then again that's not much of a consolation but <laughs> <laughs> No but on a short and sweet, you know, you have the really kind of funny pieces and uh, you have the more like, um, you know, slow. You feel like one piece is, is like so long, actually, mm -hmm. just the way that you um, move within that three minutes and then something can go by really, really quickly. So your perception of time is kind of warped also because you mm -hmm. see so many different kinds of propositions. And the structure of the evening is really important because... There, there is this tendency to go towards humor in the in the short piece format, and then when you hit after three funny pieces, you hit that kind of solemn or serious work, and then it stands out so much more. Uh, that must be really difficult to program the evening, I'm uh -huh. sure. Yeah, I don't think they they haven't seen any of the no. the works yet, so they won't know in advance how to program or what the order. So it's just by chance whether or not you're programmed, you know, sandwiched between <laughs> two works that are very different than yours or, yeah. Oh, excitement. <laughs> For me, this opportunity is a fun opportunity, and I hope to bring that type of fun to La Sararosa on Wednesday night also. And I think people generally respond very well to fun, so I'm... I'm hoping that the response is a good one. And to Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. <laughs> all right, right. well to that too. Exactly. <laughs> Oui, moi aussi, euh, il y a vraiment cette optique de, de, de plaisir euh, pour l'avoir vécu en tant que spectatrice. Euh, quelquefois, on est très ouvert quand on est là, on est ouvert à recevoir euh, tout. Puis comme on le disait tout à l'heure, autant quelque chose de drôle que quelque chose de vraiment plus euh, formel ou plus intense ou tout ça. Donc, euh, en tant que, que chorégraphe, euh, non, je suis super... Euh, je suis super confiante parce que je pense que c'est le moment de proposer euh, quelque chose, d'essayer des trucs. Puis pour l'avoir dansé aussi... Euh, Déjà, ben c'est non, la réception elle est bonne. Puis d'ailleurs, moi j'avais dansé une des pièces euh, qui débutait le, le ah, spectacle. Donc c'est vrai que oui, bon, il y a peut-être un, un c'est un peu plus froid, <rire> c'est sûr. <rire> mais donc je, une des pièces que je dansais était au tout 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 début. Donc c'est de casser la glace, mais les gens sont réceptifs ouais. quand même. Mais effectivement, plus la soirée avance, plus les gens ont du plaisir, puis euh, ils se laissent aller un peu plus. I find the idea of fun really interesting to that, that you guys bring up because. I remember Thea Patterson presenting a piece, I think it was last fall. It was basically her in front of Mike, and she started her piece or performance by saying, I thought this was supposed to be fun. And I, I, I think that there is so much pressure in in that format, which does bring bring a, about the, the, the fun aspect of it. I mean, like, yeah, it's a big party and everything, but there is a lot of stress in that format because it is rigid even though it's so open-ended yeah. to what you guys can present it is a very rigid format and it's front of a lot of your peers mm -hmm. so do you feel that that stress is warranted or do you feel that no it's just going to be great it's going to be fun no pressure i think it depends on how you approach it of course yeah the the, the time constraint or the fact that you have three minutes to impress <laughs> can be <laughs> an expectation like can create an expectation and create Um, stress, but I don't think um, I don't think that's stressful. 
I think I think that 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 only heightens the urgency to get a point across or to get your message across, and that I think is exciting. I don't I don't see that as stress. Yeah, just to, to add is that you know we're performing artists and and we have all kinds of stress, even if it's not a three minute show, you know, if it's a full length evening or if it's a thirty minute piece and we're performing or choreographing and I think so you'll you'll always have a pressure as an artist to what is this person saying or what a, what a, what is this choreography trying to trying to portray so you you know you get that that stress and like Gerard said you it's your approach and it's what you put on yourself you know what what do you want to please people or is it for your own process you know yeah you get used to like the stress sometimes <laughs> Ouais, je suis d'accord avec toi parce qu'en fait euh, quand je parle de, de, de fun puis de plaisir et tout ça c'est ça veut pas dire que artistiquement il n'y a, a pas nécessairement de, de contenu mais je pense qu'il faut juste le voir de cette façon là parce que sinon on s'en sort pas effectivement il y a tellement de types de stress il y a tellement de raisons euh, de, de se mettre une pression sur les épaules que finalement ben on a plus de, on aurait plus de plaisir à le faire fait que je pense qu'il faut juste se dire ben go puis on le laissait tu sais. puis ouais. en même temps Shirley Sweet je pense que c'est vraiment une opportunité pour ça puis il y a plein de gens qui sont passés par là aussi il y a beaucoup beaucoup de gens du milieu qui sont passés par là fait que je pense qu'il y a comme quelque chose de l'ordre de l'échange là-dedans qui nous amène à juste nous ouvrir fait que c'est pas de le voir comme quelque chose de, de se dire ben c'est le milieu au complet qui est là puis qui va voir et tout ça mais je pense que c'est juste comme comment donner à son milieu puis comment le milieu peut nous redonner en même temps tu sais de voir où est-ce qu'on est ensemble puis où est-ce qu'on s'en va tu sais c'est pour ça la notion de, de, de plaisir moi je pense que c'est super important de garder ça en tête so you've all gone to see short and sweet before right yeah i would like to ask you if you had to pick one piece that really left an indelible Uh, that that just left an impression on you, a uh, really powerful, powerful impression. What would you say? Gosh, I forget the name of the choreographer, <laughs> but I can totally describe you the piece <laughs> and the artist and, and the dancer. Uh, it was Melina Stenson, yeah. So she was dancing, and um, you don't have a lot of technical, like, things to work with. And we, our tech run is like 15 minutes, I think. But... The way the lighting was shining on her in this particular year, um, it was various, a very slow-moving piece. And when I was saying, like, you have the impression that something's longer than three minutes, I really felt like I could delve into this. And it's just the way the light was hitting her face. It was like a really a simple kind of trick, but it really had me. And her interpretation, I think... The, the light was shining on her face and just the way that she was interpreting... Um, She was standing on a table. Yes, yes that, that was her own work. That was her own work. Yeah. Oh, well, I think bravo, she collaborated uh, with a musician uh, on the piece, but yeah. Well, bravo, Melina, yeah. <laughs> um, she, that was, there was something in justesse uh, dans, dans ce qu'elle faisait that was really captivating, and it was super, super simple. And I don't think it was so funny. It was just more like an image that I could have kept on watching. Um, for me, it was Andrew's piece, when he performed at the FTA the last past one? year yeah 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 that and that just goes to show you how how much costume plays a big part in in dance or in like any stage work or any anything there's a real very strong visual element and i think sometimes we forget that um we think it all has to do with you know how we move our bodies but costume is huge and it was that's that's why i remember that Human connection in that piece too. You're talking mm -hmm. about the one where he looks like, he looked like a like it, a shaggy bear. Wasn't it from uh, yes, yes, the, the Adams exactly. family, but like a rainbow <sighs> version of that? Yeah. 
That was a really powerful bon. word. Mm -hmm. bon. that, that would be mine too, actually, I would have said. Non, c'est vrai, j'avais oublié ça, mais en fait, oui, moi aussi, je pense que ce serait une de, une de mes euh, fortes, mais euh, je dirais, euh, bon, c'est une amie à moi, là, mais Raphaël Perrou, l'année dernière, je pense, elle avait fait quelque chose avec un, un ami musicien, et puis euh, ça m'avait beaucoup, euh, pas impressionné, mais c'est que c'est un travail, ça faisait longtemps qu'elle elle parlait de travailler là-dessus, puis vraiment, là, des années, on, on, on a jasé de, de ça, puis elle avait juste utilisé ce, ce, ce moment-là pour tester ce travail-là, puis encore, maintenant, elle n'a pas eu l'opportunité de, de continuer à travailler plus loin, mais elle savait que c'est vraiment, tu sais, c'est une thématique qu'elle veut travailler, l'espèce de relation, puis les gens de faire du air drum ou des trucs comme ça, puis juste comme de toucher à des trucs... Euh, Qu'est-ce qu'elle veut travailler plus tard? Puis moi, j'avais trouvé ça super beau parce que c'est comme le, la bougie d'allumage de quelque chose. Là, c'est différent parce que moi, je l'avais vécu à l'interne puis bon, on en avait discuté avant. Mais tu sais, de sentir que c'est vraiment le point de départ de quelque chose qui va peut-être dans quelques années aller super loin. Peut-être que ça va être le, le sujet de sa, prochaine, de sa prochaine pièce ou quelque chose. Mais tu sais, de sentir qu'il y a comme qu y a quelque chose qui est là puis qui, qui, qui va débouler là, par rapport à ça. We're running out of time, but uh, this was a really interesting conversation, and I'm really excited to see all of your work this Wednesday. Thank you. It's been great. Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet is produced and hosted by Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, Jen Doan, Joanny Farin, and distributed by No More Radio. You can find more about our show at nomoradio.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet. And you can find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Tune in next week for a whole new show.